Hello and welcome to season six of Captain's Corner. We'd like to take a moment to let you know how grateful we are to you, our listeners, for making this podcast such a success. We have a great lineup of guests for you to enjoy during season six. So we ask you to share this podcast on your social media with your friends and family. And of course, give us a like and leave a review. We hope you guys enjoy the season. Today on the podcast, we have the national leaders of the Salvation Army, Commissioners Kenneth and Jolene Hodder. Well, welcome to Captain's Corner. Captain Andy Miller coming to you from Tampa, Florida, where I serve as the area commander for the Salvation Army in this area. And we have the high privilege today to have our national leaders on the call with us. So we have Commissioners Hodder with us. Commissioners, welcome to Captain's Corner. Thank you so much, Andy. It's great to be with you today. It's great to be cornered. <laughs> well, I don't want to be—I don't want to get too much in trouble with my own leaders for cornering the national commanders here. But there it is. <laughs> we'll take it for what it is. Well, I, I'm going to get in here a little later about uh, your story, and I want to hear about like even how you came together as a couple and your call to officership and your vision for the the National Salvation Army as a whole. But before we get there, we're kind of at a, a strange time in the life of the Salvation Army in the United States in light of COVID-19, and this is going to we're recording this on September 11th, which of course is a very important day in our country's history. But beyond that, um, you're going to be, the national headquarters is going to be announcing our response our, for our Christmas effort. And we're all, and I'll speak on behalf of Salvation Army officers, we're all concerned about what's going to happen if if our red kettles don't make it to the front of the doors, if, if COVID-19 really paralyzes us. And you've led an effort from NHQ that I would love to just get at the start of this podcast. Could you help me understand that? Absolutely, Andy. On Monday, September the 14th, Salvation Army will do something it has never done in its history in this country. And that is it will kick off its Christmas kettle campaign. Wow. That is uh, more than two and a half months uh, before Christmas. But there are a number of reasons that we're doing that. First and foremost, we have to articulate the fact that the human need that we are seeing right now in the Salvation Army is simply overwhelming. Right. Uh, it would not be unfair to say that we are witnessing a tsunami right. of human need. Mm. Uh, COVID-19 has changed so much for so many people. Uh, when you look at the unemployment rate, where it is, where it, which is higher than it's been since uh, uh, most of the uh, recessions, certainly uh, it compares with the uh, Great Depression itself. When you consider the number of people who are out of work, when you consider uh, the fact that at the Salvation Army, we're seeing such a dramatic rise in the people that are coming, we're now projecting that the number of people that the Salvation Army will serve at Christmas this year will go from 2.6 million, which is last year's figure, to 6.6 million. In other words, an increase of 155%. Wow. So- We're doing this first and foremost because the need is simply so much greater than it's been. The second reason we're doing it is that the Christmas kettle, which is this iconic image of service and and, uh, mutual support and philanthropy in this country, is at risk. Right. Last year, we raised about $126 million at the Christmas kettles. Right. And some projections are coming back 
that say that that might decline as much as 50%. Wow. The reason? Fewer retail locations. Right. Fewer people carrying money in their pockets. Right. Uh, higher unemployment. People who were donors before are now coming to us for assistance. Right. All of these things. If we don't start now, we're not going to be ready to meet the human need that we're looking at. Yeah, you know, as a, as a mother and a grandmother, it just breaks my heart that there are going to be families out there who are not going to be able to celebrate Christmas unless the Salvation Army comes on board. Yeah. And it's going to take all of us, all of us for this Christmas miracle to take place. Right. So that we can make sure that um, Christmas is not forgotten by so many. Right. So it's all it's all rescue Christmas, Andy. Right. And that's what we're now asking the country to get behind. We've got to rescue the people. We've got to rescue uh, uh, the the spirit of the season. We've got to bring everyone together to support one another. It's all about uh, rescuing uh, uh, our country from what could otherwise be a very bleak time of year. Right. This is this is such a challenge because the, this, many people might not know this about the Salvation Army. Um, they, they know that I'm on a call here and I'm serving in Tampa, Florida, and that you're at na- our national headquarters. So they might think you go out and raise all the money and then just send me some. But that's not how it works. Um, <laughs> and it's, it's, no, it's, Army, it's not. And you know that better than anybody else. <laughs> very true, sir. Very true. And so I, I'm in a position where the Salvation Army, we actually then... uh, send our support to uh, up to our divisional headquarters for us in Tampa, that would be to Florida and then to the Southern territory and then their support, the national effort efforts. But what we always have is, is I love about the Salvation Army and our mission is that it's always localized and our funding is localized so that whatever we, however, we're able to serve the community comes from that community. And we're then able to respond to the needs that we see. And you are exactly right because we are experiencing the same thing. We have, 300% increase in our calls. Um, We have not had an empty bed in our shelter since the start of COVID-19. And it's harder to get people into the workforce when there are less jobs. I mean, that's how I believe that's how we get people out of homelessness is we get people into jobs. Right. Right. Well, uh, as of the taping of this uh, episode, I believe that the uh, uh, unemployment rate is about 8.4%. Right. Uh, the Wall Street Journal says by Christmas it'll be between ten and eleven. Really? So not only not only is it difficult now, but the chances are that it will go up a little bit as we edge toward Christmas. So w- w- the Salvation Army, uh, Andy, is as you know the largest non-governmental provider of social services in the country. Right. The nation relies upon the Salvation Army, and if we don't uh, uh, in, improve our game and up our game when it comes to Christmas, we're not going to be able to do what the public expects us to do. But the exciting part of all of it is that everybody can play a part. Yes. You know, we don't have to look for corporations to make the big donations, although we hope they will. Yes. But every single family and every single individual can, can donate. Yes. Christmas is going to come whether we're ready or not. <laughs> But we can all scale back our own personal Christmases. And I mean, wouldn't it be great on Christmas Day to be opening presents with your family and to know that there's another family opening presents and have food on the table because of what your family has been able to contribute? Right. So it's, it's up to the individual 
to make sure that uh, this Christmas is magical for everyone. Right. And, and this is why you'll be seeing, I know across those who are listening to this, you'll see, particularly here in Tampa, you'll see a lot of digital response that we'll have peer to peer fundraising. Like a, this is why it's important for you to take those cues that we give to share online, to, to try to get folks to re- respond. I mean, we've, we've wondered, I mean, Kettles itself has this challenge and, and I've always been now be, this is kind of one of these philosophical discussions that Salvation Army officers get into about the future of kettles. But um, in, in my view, as long as um, I've always contended that as long as our government issues cash, they'll likely be kettles. They'll, li- they'll be a place for kettles because people, there's something about this quick gift that people can give. We have to have more volunteers, as many volunteers as possible to, to be able to facilitate that process. But, but this is an opportunity for people to participate. But now I never saw this challenge coming, the fact that we might not even be able to be there, even if there is cash. And so what are you That's all doing? Absolutely right. Go ahead. Well, well, the first thing I need to point out is we are so grateful to all of our national partners. We yes. have had very positive, productive discussions. They are doing everything possible to help the Army get the kettles out as much as we can. Uh, so that is going to mean uh, PPEs. It's going to mean social distancing from the kettles. Right. It's going to mean uh, kettle pay, which is our electronic means of using the kettle so they don't touch the kettle itself. Right. We can adapt. But it's also going to mean that we inc- increase, as you've already done in Tampa, our digital presence. Right. Uh, at our website, rescuechristmas.org, right. people are going to be able to go on, and we're encouraging them to enlist in Love's Army and make a $25 per month sustaining gift. Right. We have done that in the past, but we're emphasizing it now because the needs we're seeing at Christmas are still going to be there in January and February. We're not out of the woods by a long shot. Right. And the Army has got to be there for the long term. So uh, based upon what we've seen so far in the COVID pandemic, uh, we believe that the American public is going to respond in a wonderful way. Amen. Yeah, and that's one of the beautiful things about the way that God has led the Salvation Army in the United States is that the the public, by and large, has this trust of us. And we can only say that, that that's because... The, that God raised the Salvation Army into existence and that he's sustaining well, I, us. Absolutely. Absolutely. The, the, the Lord has had his hand on this movement since the day he touched William, William Booth's heart to create it. You know, and, and your people need to know that, that the, the standards, the policies that have generated that trust in the American public will still be there in every respect. As you've already pointed out, Andy, the money that is raised locally stays local yes uh and on a national basis 82 cents of every dollar goes directly to the people in need we're a direct service provider they're not giving to an amorphous organization that will distribute grants to uh, a dozen different organizations across the country the army will take those gifts and apply them directly to the need and uh, that has always been the case and will be particularly this year and I think that that's even, uh, I, I often highlight that because um, my grandfather was your predecessor in uh, as a national commander many years ago now, of course, but he, um, <laughs> I just wanted to make you feel a little better about that and that you couldn't possibly be. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> 
so uh, when my my parents were serving as the divisional youth secretaries in the Indiana division, my grandfather was the uh, national commander. And because my dad had four kids, uh, they ac- actually received more in allowance than my grandfather, who was a national commander. And I have three kids, so I imagine that I'm I'm probably pretty close to the same allowance that you receive. And so, th- th- my guess is my my guess is your allowance is greater than ours. Well, some things <laughs> so are just right. So you're gonna have right to work all the harder. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty good, and, and, and I say that not not to like pat ourselves on the back because we're not we're not out here complaining about the way that you know we're provided for. I'm not complaining at all. But what I'm demonstrating is that that the way that we get to that is that the people who are in executive leadership in the Salvation Army locally here with Abby and me, and even up to your office, that th- this is a, a calling that God has put on our lives, and we respond to that, and that's in part how we get to that 82 cents. Of every dollar, uh, Commissioner Jolene, I don't know if you know about it, and I, I see you have s- something in your hand there. So I'm cu- curious. The the idea of, or, or either of you can answer this. Rescue Christmas is connected to a song uh, that uh, a popular Christian artist, Lauren Daigle, has put out. I mean, this yes. is part of the theme. Is that something that you could talk about? Well, I think that you're going to be seeing it on on uh, in some of our commercials. Yep. yep. And we're going to be using it. And um, again, you know. Christmas with the Salvation Army, it's all about the heart, right? Yes. It, you know, we're not just handing out boxes of food and we're not just, um, you know, giving a place to stay. It's all about loving the individual and the Army has a heart. Right. And I think it comes through in that in that song. Oh, it really does. Lauren Daigle has been so helpful to the Salvation Army. Uh, and when she sings about uh, the Lord raising up an army yeah. to mm. help other people. That is just the perfect symbol right. of what we are. So we're looking forward to uh, to meeting her and to working with her in the months to come. Yeah, it, it, that line, it, it just feels like it had to be written for us, is what you think, like, I will send out an army to find yeah. you. I mean, so beautiful. Absolutely. Just like just like Silver Bells. There you go. To, uh, to promote the salvation. Well, you know, the Lord has his hand in everything. You've got to believe that... that uh, this is all about him. Amen. He was at work when she was putting the song away. together. This episode of Captain's Corner is sponsored by Arthur Alley Associated, your partner for fundraising and mission development. Led by longtime Salvation Army fundraisers Derek Alley and Steve Wakes Norris, Arthur Alley can help your nonprofit organization or church with services like mission planning, annual and capital campaign fundraising, and coaching. Arthur Alley has the experience and insight to help your organization thrive. They've worked with organizations across the country and specialize in serving the Salvation Army. And today, for Captain's Corner listeners, Arthur Alley is offering a free 20-minute consultation call. Brainstorm strategy, script an upcoming donor visit, talk through an advisory board issue, or ask questions you've been afraid to ask in public. It's entirely up to you. Visit ArthurAlley.com slash captain. That's Alley with two L's. Arthur, A-L-L-E-Y dot com slash captain to set up your complimentary consultation call today. Well, I'd like to make a pivot here, talk a little bit more about you. This is an interesting time. You just uh, have been in this appointment not long. You're serving as a territorial leader for the Salvation Army's Western Territory, and you've come in at a, a very interesting time in, in our country and in, for the Salvation Army and pretty appreciate your public presence, but could you tell us a a little bit about yourselves and how God's led your life um, 
I know it's a long, uh, there's a long story, but you didn't start out in your um, adult lives, I, from what I know of your story, um, as Salvation Army officers. You had a different trajectory. I'd love to hear about that, that move. Absolutely. My husband was a corporate attorney, yeah. and I was a buyer for department store Carter Holly Hale. Okay. And um, there was just one day that my husband uh, was in the office of one of his partners, and he was given a, a big, re- big check and told that he was on the path to be a partner himself. He went back to his very posh office and uh, looked around, saw a pile of papers all around him and thought, is this all there is Hmm. to to life? Wow. And um, he knelt and prayed. And uh, then uh, he came home and told his wife. And I was not very happy. I told him. Yeah, she she was perfectly happy what she was doing. Uh, with Carter Holly Hale. So, yeah. so I had to go back to the Lord and say, Lord, you know, if you want me to respond to your call to be an officer, uh, you're going to have to work in the heart of my wife. Yeah. Two weeks later, as we're driving to work, she reaches over and turns off the radio and says, the Lord called me as well. Well, let me say here, he, <laughs> he did not mention it again. He promised he would not mention it again. Okay. But he was, he played dirty on me. Instead, he prayed for me. And, uh, you know, right away, the Lord worked on my heart. It did not take long. And um, I just said, okay, Lord, yeah. take me. Wow. And uh, we have not looked back oh, even once. It, it's, it's been so wonderful, Andy. When we look back and, and think of where we were uh, and the decision that we made to follow what we felt the Lord wanted us to do, it it's, was precisely the right thing. Hmm. Uh, we thought when we left law and uh, retail work that we were leaving behind all the skills and all the experiences sure. that we had built up. But as, as you know, the Lord takes all of it and he sanctifies it yes. and he uses it for other purposes. I've had a chance to do legal work on a scale I never would have imagined to, to provide legal structure for the Salvation Army to open its work in Nepal and Namibia, and Swaziland, and uh, Kuwait. I never would have done that had I stayed uh, in the practice of of corporate law. Hmm. Uh, My wife never would have been as good uh, at thrift stores if she didn't have her retail (laughs) experience. You know, it's funny. I've always wanted to write a book, but had nothing to write about. And um, the Lord sent us on a wild adventure to Africa for eight years. Yeah. And now I've Published two books. Wow. Um, God just worked miracles in our lives, and he continues. He's not done with us yet. Yeah, and so and I, I think I know where you're appointed in, in big picture terms. So you served for a while in the Western Territory, then were part of the uh, Millennial Congress. You helped lead that team, then went back to Western Territory, and then, I think, yes. to Africa, then to IHQ. Yes. And then yes. back to back to Kenya, where the uh, the new territory, the Kenya West territory. I mean, this is a wild ride. Right. Uh, did I miss anything oh, in there? Uh, no, no, you've got it exactly right, Andy. And every single one of those appointments has has given us more excitement and more joy than we ever could have had had we followed the path that we thought was best for ourselves. Hmm. Uh, So we're constantly telling people, look, if you think God is calling you to do a certain thing uh, and you don't think you're prepared for it or you think you're 
your passions lie in other directions, you have to listen to the Lord first because doing what he wants you to do will fulfill you in ways you cannot even imagine right. and will, will cause your life to have an impact that you can't even measure. Uh, we, have, we testify to that all the time. Now, your experience is the same. To become a Salvation Army officer, was that your first intention in life? Well, there, I'm getting asked a question. Well, the, uh, it might be a first in Captain's Corner here. Um, no, it wasn't. No. <laughs> I was, um, um, Abby and I met at Asbury University, and uh, she came from a United Methodist background, many years, uh, generations similar to me that went to Asbury University. And um, and I'm a six, I'm right now a six-generation officer, so six generations in the Salvation Army. Oh, wow. Uh, but uh, and and I have I'm the third Andy Miller and I have a f- the fourth at home. But it was um, definitely a sense that um, I I had enough respect for the office that I never responded uh, at a youth councils. I didn't I I just I was in, on a path to studied music and then later theology and I was thinking a post like that might be something that um, an academic post or a, a creative post might be something I would seek out. But uh, it was while I was at seminary, uh, when I went to, Abby and I went to Asbury Theological Seminary, and we both felt led towards officership, and and this is what God has for us. So it's been a a definite place of dependence and trust, um, of daily trusting that this is where he's taking us. Thank you for asking. Uh, So, absolutely. I would love to- Well, and then we can talk, you know, we can all talk about our children and how the Lord has- blessed our children even through our officership and given them opportunities um, that they would never have had simply because we said yes to to God. Yeah, so it certainly involves them too. I mean, I I think that they're a part of that that calling. Now, tell us about your children. You have, I I don't know them, I believe two girls, is that right? Or two children, at least two children. We have one one daughter, one daughter, Jessica. Okay. uh, Who together with her husband, Tyler, have given us the most beautiful grandson in the world. Okay. And I say that knowing that other grandparents in your audience are going to claim that their grandchildren are uh, are the most beautiful. (laughs) Uh, So so I recognize that we're, we're somewhat biased in our judgment. But he is the delight of our lives. And we have another one on the way due in October. Okay. Oh, wow. Congratulations. Another little boy. Okay. Another little boy. So, so yes, indeed. So we have a vet. We're vet and we're blessed. They're all healthy and happy. So God has been good to us. Yeah, I'm going to jump back here. This is where I get a little, uh, you could say I, I nerd out a little bit, but I'm, I'm <laughs> real interested. I just can't, I can't help myself. I, um, so you worked at, at IHQ uh, in, in a legal capacity and you talked about uh, help initiating probably the, the corporate setup of the Savage Army in various countries. Um, and and the, this is one of the intriguing things to me. It certainly wasn't something I grew up understanding, but now I'm in a position where regularly I describe to people um, how we're corporately structured as the Salvation Army for us, comma, a Georgia corporation, kind of uh, for how we're structured in the United States. But one thing I wonder about is the international legal constraints that we have. It seems like that is a miracle of the Salvation Army that we are one army internationally because the nature of international law, I feel like would make that extremely difficult that the fact that we're held together, I mean, what is that, that, that legal basis? Is there, is there much strength to that? I mean, I I would just love to hear you comment on that. Uh, that, that, Well, my goodness, that, that is a question I don't get too often, but (laughs) you've touched on something that, that is a passion of, of mine. The structure of the Salvation Army internationally is 
uh, is miraculous. Okay. And it is totally unique. The Salvation Army internationally is composed, as you suggest, of a number of corporations and trusts and associations, depending upon the legal structure of the countries in which it functions. Right. But it is not a federation. Okay. It is not a group of semi-autonomous bodies, nor is it a fully integrated single corporation as uh, the Catholic Church is. Sure. Rather, every corporate document is linked by three elements. Okay. The first, ele- the first element is our doctrines. Every document that is filed with any government authority has attached to it the doctrines of the Salvation Army. Okay. So no body that ever claims to be the army that has anything that diverges from those doctrines is legitimate. That maintains our, our structure ecclesia, ecclesiastically, okay. internationally. Second is the role of the general. Okay. Every corporate document, either explicitly or implicitly, will recognize the general as being the final decision maker. Interesting. For example, in this country, even though the trustees of each corporation have corporate responsibility, they are placed in their position by the general. Interesting. So the general has the ultimate implicit control over all the corporations. The third thing that keeps us together is orders and regulations. Uh, Every Salvation Army officer has on his or her bookshelf a little red book that they probably rarely look into. And I'm sure you've got one in your office. Yeah, sure. Those orders and regulations are all incorporated by reference to all of our corporate documents. I always made sure that every document that we ever filed with the government said, subject to the orders and regulations of the Salvation Army. By that sheer phrase, everything that is the structure of the discipline of the Army becomes a part of our legal structure. Interesting. So if you have that in every corporate structure around the world... They're all united by a single body of law, the orders and regulations. So you put all of it together, you have the ability to respond flexibly in each country, depending upon the needs of the people who are there. Right. But you also have a unity legally and ecclesiastically that uh, is is strong and uh, firm. Uh Again, I don't get this question a lot. No, this is great. You've you've excited him. He loves loves talking No, no, this is great. And and that would be bound. This is like not everybody would be, not everybody would find this interesting. Though there is a great short kind of a brief uh, explanation in uh, General John Gowan's um, book, 1929. But if if you're kind of interested in kind of a cliff note version of this, but um, I'm not saying that for you, Commissioner. I'm saying that for our audience. So, um, but this is tied together by the the British 1980 Act of the Salva- the Salvation Army Act, and it, so that then serves yes. the found that that then enters in um, the language e- to each country, like based upon how that's presented at Parliament. Is that right? Precisely, the uh, Salvation Army Act 1980 has within it a description of what the Salvation Army is. Okay, and that description is then uh, essentially reproduced in every other corporate document. So they all come back. But again, the Salvation Army Act 1980 refers to our orders and regulations. Right. Interesting. So, so it all comes together in what is, from a legal perspective, a beautiful 
uh, uh, combination of local flexibility and international unity. Uh, it's it's truly uh, a work of God. Inter- it, it, so ecclesiastically and legally, then the, I think this is helpful, even for people who's like serve on an advisory board or here locally. The, I mean, this this comes into play in every meeting where we make a motion. I mean, the, essentially, this is at the foundation of that. I think so. Like we are locally on the ground making a recommendation to the Salvation Army. A Georgia corporation, which then has its foundation in these documents that you've described in our doctrines and the general and the ONR, so that there is this balance. And this is what we talked about earlier, too, about the way we're financed, the way we understand, is that like there is this connection between the local and the big picture of the army. And thus, there likely are a lot of tensions that are expressed between those two entities, no doubt about it. But yet, this is this sure. is the foundation for Salvation Army ministry. Of course, I would say the foundation truly is Christ, but the kind of written foundation. Let me ask a question about that. Sure. And, no, and I, I understand it, Charlie. Okay. Uh, do you want to comment on that before I ask my question? No, but it also means that your work in Tampa yes. is connected to the Salvation Army's work in uh, uh, Shikulu, uh, Kenya. Amen. It's, it's all part of that same tapestry. That's why we can refer to salvationists in that particular community in an entirely different country as our brothers and sisters, not only because we're united in Christ, but in terms of the organization in which we serve, it's all the same, yeah. even though uh, organizationally we might be parts of different corporations. It's, uh, it's a wonderful thing. So is it correct then that if we have, like we have minutes, uh, policies in the in United States, they're just called, like our policies are described as minutes, um, that the the authority of those minutes is those three areas that you described, the uh, the doctrines, the general, and the ONR. Is that a super authority over minutes? Uh, yes, that the, those three things that I've described are part of that superstructure within which everything else is connected. Thank you for taking a minute with me on that. And if any, if it just helped straighten me out a little bit, which it did, by the way, <laughs> thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, uh, Commissioner Jolene. Glad to. I, I'll call you later and I, I can get my further questions answered too. But I, it's not very often I get with somebody who's a lawyer and a Salvation Army officer with the knowledge you have. <laughs> um, Commissioner Jolene. I would lo- love to think like I don't. I'm not quite sure how long you all have to serve in this role, but likely this might be your one, your last appointment. I don't know that for sure. How old you all are? And I'm not asking. I'm not asking how old you are. Um, but I'd be curious. What do you hope? Like when you when you get to that point of retirement and then you're finishing up at national headquarters, what do you hope you've been able to accomplish in that time? Well, we retire in about five years if the general allows us. Okay. You know, as commissioners, you don't really have a retirement date necessarily. Um, I want to be able to look back and just to know that I have opened some doors for women. Okay. To um, to be all that God created them to be through their ministry in the Salvation Army. You know, we have we have led the way um, for many, many, many years, but there's still more to be done to make sure that um, that women can do everything that they feel that the Lord has called them to do within the ranks of the Salvation Army. Yes, amen. What would that look like? What Would, would there be some application of them becoming what God's created them to be? That is there a dip, uh, some changes that you think should be made? 
Well, I think that um, we have empowered women in women's ministries for many, many years. Yes. And there are some women, including myself, who um, believes that I have a special calling for women's ministries. Okay. But there are other women who feel called perhaps into business right. or um, into other areas of service that we've always um, kind of seen as perhaps a man's role. Right. Or the man has been able um, to receive the education and the uh, the extra support and the conference uh, opportunities, whereas so often the women have been raising the children and perhaps haven't had those opportunities. So I would like to see less of a default appointment for a woman, okay, and more of a more of a just a, an appointment on her own, right, right, celebrating her gifts and her skills. Not downplaying women's ministries because that is such an important part of our army. Right. That is an important ministry. But for those women who feel called to other areas, avenues of service, to see more women leaders Amen. in yeah. the Salvation Army. Yes. I thank you for answering. I know it's a tough question. I know there's a lot of uh, uh, like assumptions that come with it. One of the challenges that comes, I think, is that you end up having the, you don't want to think that the kind of a, nuclear unit of the husband and wife, the, the fact that um, peep, that there are roles that are assumed, and if they happen to be traditional roles, um, doesn't mean that that is bad either. At the same time, we right. want to uh, keep the balance in play where we look at individual gifts. Um, I, I would, yeah, yeah. Exactly. So there, exactly. You know, um, I love working with my husband. I work, <laughs> I love working alongside him. I do. Um but there are times when um, I like to be pushed and prodded, and um, I like you know the standards to be to be held accountable. Right, right. And it's not always easy for your spouse to do that. But if I was working in a different line of work within the Salvation Army, still having a wonderful joint ministry, but if I was working off to the side, um, I think that um, I would probably grow so much quicker being pushed and prodded and being thrown into areas that I have uh, not served in the past. Yeah. Um, I think that would be very exciting hmm. for me and for many of our women to do that. Yeah, sure. Commissioner, do you want, uh, Commissioner Ken, do you want to add anything to that? Well, I'm, I'm right with my wife on this. It's important right now for the Salvation Army, which has always been a learning organization to realize more fully what the Apostle Paul wrote about, that there is no slave nor free, no male nor female. The notion of gender equality, the notion of shared leadership, the notion that we need not have default appointments based upon gender, it's critical for the Army. And I believe under the leadership of uh, General Peddle, yep. we're closer to realizing that more fully uh, than we have been in a long, long time. Amen. The, it, you, you said we are a learning organization. What do you mean by that? I mean that for us to live up to our mission statement, we have to constantly re-examine ourselves and our work so as to ensure that we are adhering as closely as possible to the scriptural standards that have been set for us. Uh, and that's true in every dimension of Salvation Army service. It, it would make no sense, for example, Andy, to say that the Salvation Army is going to evolve in terms of the services it provides uh, in this country, uh, and to say that the Salvation Army will not evolve in terms of its understanding of women being able to serve, 
about what it is for the Salvation Army to be inclusive and diverse. These are the things that we must constantly learn. Bob Johansson, who's a good friend of ours and serves at the Institute for the Future in Stanford, uh, California, is a man who says that he lives 10 years in the future. Hmm. Uh, and I've learned a lot from him. And one of the principles he articulates is one that we've adapted for ourselves, which hmm. is that the future will reward clarity, but it will punish certainty. Wow. To say that uh, it must be this way and no other uh, is a position of certainty. Clarity is what I think scripture calls us to. Do we know how the Lord is using us? Do we know the direction that he is leading us? Are we responsive to the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit outlines our future? That kind of clarity is what will allow the army to evolve organizationally and as a body of uh, Christ followers, as well as a group that serves the needs of people in this country. You know, we have a great heritage, and I'm very grateful to the many, many men and women who have gone before um, and all that they have done through faith. But our army is marching. You know, mm. we don't pull up chairs and sit down. We are marching on. And so we need to reexamine all along the way. Um, if, is this the way that we should continue to go or do we need to, to change our path? Yeah. And uh, we're willing to do that. It can be scary at times to reexamine what we've always done and always been. Right. But it, it, uh, it's something that we must do. When people ask us about this, Andy, if I can just add one more story. Please. You're familiar with the Match Factory story. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Well, the Salvation Army established a Match Factory because of an existing need. But when society caught up and safety matches became a part of normal life, the Salvation Army didn't say, well, we've always done matches before and we're going to stick with producing matches in the future. Of course not. Right. We right. dropped it. Right. Uh, and why? what is it that suggests that that same principle would not apply to what we are as an organization? I think the same logic applies. I think the same logic uh, uh, helps us to glorify Christ in new and exciting ways for every generation in which we serve. Amen. And this is the discussion of, uh, for me, form and function or mission and methods. So there is a function to our mission that needs to happen and it adapts to take different forms. Of course, Catherine Booth said that the great strength of the Salvation Army is its adaptability. And of course, you've seen that in various countries uh, where the Salvation Army serves, where we look very different. Uniforms look different. Um, and the idea of the mission, like we have a mission and that mission uh, takes on a method. The methods change. Then this is, and what you've talked about here highlights one of the challenges for any organization. And that's why I think as we talk about these things in reference to the Salvation Army, why some of the members of our advisory board find it interesting because they're working through similar things in their churches and in their um, uh, in their own corporations. So, like, this is a very important topic for us all to grasp is, like, what things stay the same, what what things stay the same, and what things can change. And, and I would think, like, there is, a, there is a bit of certainty. I don't know if Bob Johansson and I would, I think he would probably, I don't know him, I hope he, I'd be glad to have his challenge to challenge this. It doesn't sound like somebody sure. from Stanford is somebody I should be challenging. But we have a certainty in the, <laughs> in, in the revelation of, of the triune God 
through scripture. And so like and you said, the very first piece of our um, of our illegal incorporation is our doctrines. And our first doctrine is that it talks about revelation, how we believe God's revealed himself through the scripture. And I know you're not ch- challenging that at all, but that, that's a found, that's a certain foundation. And there's doctrines that don't change, but yet there, there are expressions that change. And I'm just kind of, uh, kind of piecing around some of these, um, some of this tension. I'd love for you to t- talk about it a little bit more with me. Sure. 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 Any, any, any principle of analysis carried to its logical confusion, carried to its logical confu- conclusion is going to produce absurd results. So uh, by suggesting clarity is not the same as certainty, uh, we're not suggesting that there isn't a solid foundation on which the church rests. Right. Uh, that has to be the case. The notion is more that the individuals who are seeking to live up to the challenges of that foundation and the requirements of scripture can find new and different ways of doing so. Right. That's the key. So, so that, that is where that, that notion is most effective. And I think it's very effective for any corporation. It's effective for any movement. It's effective for any part of the body of Christ. Right. Right. Uh, how, how do we reach folks today for Jesus Christ? How do we convince them? Uh, let me give you another example. Another example would be, what are the best means of evangelizing today? Sure. Is it to be on the street corner? Probably not. Mm-hmm. Is it to live out the gospel in our own lives? Probably so. Yeah. That's different from what it was 30 or 40 years ago. That's the kind of thing I'm referring to. COVID, though. I mean, just look at COVID. Sure. And what the Salvation Army has done during that. We have been very adaptable. Amen. People could no longer come in to our facilities. So what did we do? We went to them through the media, through drive-through churches, through drive-through food boxes. I have been amazed at how adaptable we have been. And I'm not sure we're ever going to get back to what we would consider the norm. I think we're going to have to continue to adapt right. and continue to, to see what works and what doesn't, what our mission means now in this, in this new world. Um, because, because we're clear about why we exist. Yeah. Right. We're, we're clear about what we're going to achieve in the name of Christ. We, in, in our context, um, we, our core council, um, that's our, our church uh, governing kind of body that helps advise my wife and I as we think about the nature of how we exist as a congregation, um, came up with, uh, used Patrick Lencioni's book, uh, The Advantage, and came up with this uh, existence statement, like, why do we exist? Well, sometimes it's kind of funny as a local expression to describe why you exist when there's already an international mission statement, which is wonderful. And we have a national branding promise doing the most good. And you have a going back in history, you can have tons of them, but we came up with this line. Um, it says we exist because we believe every person can be the person God has created him or her to be. Every person can be the person God has created him or her to be. It's getting that same idea that we we have a reason for existing, and it's based in God's revelation in history and how I, I this is what I think at least I'd be interested if you have a, a if you have want to add to it. But we exist because the, the gospel is calling us to serve people and meet human needs in His name without discrimination while we proclaim that good news. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And there are a million ways for us to do that. Right. 
a million ways. And right now, the language of love that uh, is that the Salvation Army uses in everything it does is simply acquiring a new accent, hmm. the accent of gloves, amen, and masks, yes, and social distancing. It yeah. hasn't changed our understanding of what we're supposed to do in the slightest. Right. But if we were certain about, well, we can only do it this way, or we could only be structured this way, uh, we would miss out on everything that uh, I think the Lord has uh, hidden for us as a tremendous opportunity, uh, even in the midst of this challenge for our country. Or every, every soldier should do it this way. Every soldier should look this way. You know, God calls us each differently. So you can't, there, there can be clarity, but not certainty. Right. This is great. This is a really helpful discussion for me. Uh, Commissioner uh, Ken, you have, um, I, I know I know something about you that maybe other people don't. And I have a research kind of bone in my body. I love to uh, st- study, you know, church uh, history and theology, and particularly the Salvation Army. And I, I like footnotes. And, and, and going in through Dr. Ed McKinley's book um, on the, the history of the Salvation Army in the United States called Marching to Glory, um, I, those footnotes have you listed a few times, and and I was surprised by this that while you were studying law at Harvard, you did some research into a predecessor of yours in the, as national commander, and that was Commissioner Frank Smith. And I saw that what? most of his um, most of most of his sourcing about Frank Smith came from some of your research. So I, I would be, I know this might be the, again, one of these geek out moments for me, but I, I think there's some people in our audience and I think they'll find it interesting. So I would just love, who was Frank Smith and why is he important to the Salvation Army? Why would you spend your, your money while you're at Harvard studying this early Salvation Army leader? Well, there are several reasons. Okay. Uh, because the Salvation Army in the early days uh, in this country uh, was uh, very much a personality-based organization. Right. The United States was the first overseas extension of the Salvation Army in England. Okay. It came over officially, as you know, as a result of George Scott Railton. Right. He was a gentleman who, despite all of his enthusiasm and the energy that he possessed, was not an organizer. He was right. not an administrator. He was followed by Thomas E. Moore. Right. Thomas E. Moore was, again, another gifted salvationist, but he had disagreements with William Booth to the degree that he broke off from the Salvation Army internationally. Well, Frank Smith was important because he came in to take charge of what was then the small remnant of the Salvation Army in 1884. And he was able, in the course of the next, gosh, about eight years, four four to six years, able to not only uh, embolden and solidify the true Salvation Army, as we understood it then, but he was able to bring back a lot of the folks who had followed Thomas E. Moore out of our movement. And he did it in a variety of fascinating ways. For example... As uh, uh, Major Marion Platt points out in one of the articles he's recently published, uh, Frank Smith advanced the idea that Salvation Army meetings should be totally integrated, that there should be uh, African-American, 
and uh, white American worshiping together. Right. Thomas E. Moore had an instituted segregated. Right. Uh, and uh, as he correctly points out, Frank Smith brought them back together. Uh, Thomas E. Moore, interestingly enough, added two doctrines. And those doctrines, uh, Frank Smith uh, said, no, we're not going to follow that. We're going to stick with the original doctrines of the Salvation Army. So he was a powerful force. Then after he brings the army together, he's appointed back to England where he takes charge of the social reform wing. Right. It was that point about 1890 when William Booth published his In Darkest England and the Way Out that we needed some some part of the army to be dedicated to reaching out in these social reform efforts. And Frank Smith was put in charge. Right. So Frank Smith becomes the embodiment of the gospel impacting the physical circumstances in which people live. Right. Over the course of several years, he creates this wonderful institutional structure by which this is done, mm -hmm. a structure that we still benefit from today. Right. But then his story evolves even further. Let me cut, jump in he there real quick. Do you believe sure. that he was, uh, uh, and I know there's different thoughts on this, that he also was a big part of in writing William Booth's uh, In Darkest England and the Way Out? That he... That he uh, you know, I, I've never seen anything to uh, uh, substantiate that. Me too. Uh, I believe that the most significant ghost writer for uh, In Darkest England and the Way Out was uh, uh, William T. Stead. Great, yes. Uh, William T. Stead from the Pall Mall Gazette, who, as you know, died in the sinking of the Titanic. Right, he yes. He was one of yep. William's greatest friends. Uh, but I believe he had a lot to do with writing In Darkest England. But Frank Smith, in any event takes charge of that work. Gotcha. But he becomes so enamored with the results that are being achieved in the social reform wing that he leaves the army. He goes into politics as a member of the Labour Party. He even starts his own uh, uh, publication called The Labour Cry. Interesting. Instead of The War Cry. And it has, instead of the two cross swords that we have in the Salvation Army crest, it has a shovel and a pickaxe. There you go. And it's, so he took the methodology of the army and applied it to a political atmosphere. Right. He continues to love the army all of his life, uh, enters parliament in 1929, uh, uh, leaves in uh, 1931, and then dies in the Blitz on London in 1940. Oh, I didn't realize that. So he... He, look at that man's life. Look at how far he came and how much he did. I, I couldn't resist studying Frank Smith. Yes, I love it. And of course, there, in, in 19, 1929, he also writes the kind of very interesting book, The Betrayal of Bramwell Booth. Um, and and that, right. that, that will be like a, there was an interesting move constitutionally um, for the Salvation Army in those days and deposing of Bramwell Booth. But there's something interesting, too. Of course, this enters into our conversation now, too, is that William Booth and Karl Marx both come to, to London in London's East End in 1849. And Commissioner Ann Woodall has pointed this out in her dissertation that they both respond to the social situation that they see, William Booth and Karl Marx, in vastly different ways, right? And and, and we have the, the remnants of, of both men 
today alive. And of course, socialism is a part of that conversation now and how that expresses itself. But Frank Smith was a man who was, after leaving the army, was more influenced by the, the Marx and, and socialist sort of revolution. I love Absolutely. That. He was a close uh, ally of Keir Hardy, who was very prominent uh, in British politics as a, as a labor organizer. Uh, and that, of course, was the era of the growth of unions and the growth of, particularly in Britain, the, uh, 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 the very uh, highly consolidated, very aggressive union movement in the United Kingdom. So will you, uh, Frank Smith, but think, think, where, think of the, the process in his mind that had to take place there. Here's a man who has pledged his life to Christ. He sees Christ fulfilled in a socialist vision right. uh, for England, yet he never abandons his love for the Salvation Army to the degree that after the High Council of 1929, he writes the book which defends the son of the founder, Bramwell Booth. So interesting. Says, we've strayed. So my goodness, I would love to sit down and have a cup of coffee with Frank Smith. Yeah, it's so interesting. And, and who would have known that, that you would be filling his seat many years later and your own dad's that's seat. That's right. Yeah, that's Hi. right. My father's seat, your grandfather's seat. I have a lot to live up to. There, and, and we hope to get you down here. Of course, your parents have retired and of course your sister and brother-in-law in uh, our service area in Sun City Center. So well, next time you come down to visit them, we want to book you, okay? We need it. We want it if, we, if you're bookable. <laughs> Andy, we'd love to do that. Thank you. And in the meantime, we want to say thank you for what you're doing uh, in Tampa. We also want you to know that we'll be praying for your every success this Christmas. Uh, your, your listeners need to know we need their support. Yes. The needs are going to be huge in Tampa and across the nation. Everybody has to be a part of this effort. Absolutely. And we, we trust that God has led uh, you and your team at National Headquarters to this, this campaign, which it seems really dynamic. I was fortunate to be able to be on some of the test calls to see how people respond to them. And I was immediately touched by you know, our, our team that's, that think of this and encouraged in the midst of the challenges of COVID that we can actually make a move forward and that even though this need is going to be so significant that we're able to you know, leverage the, the, Im- the impact we can have and our, 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 the respect people have for uh, the Salvation Army in the United States. So thank you for leading that effort. Let me, let me just get one more quick, like kind of lightning round sort of question. Commissioner Jolene, who would you say are the kind of the, the biggest influences on your life? Ah, uh, gosh. I'm sorry. I there should. are so many women. It's okay. There are so many women that, who have come before me. Um, I think of Commissioner Grace Chung, yeah. um, who was just a gracious, gracious woman who trained me. I was her administrative assistant. Okay. And um, she probably, she's with the Lord now, Mm -hmm. but she probably has no idea um, all that she has meant to me. And then um, uh, Mama Osborne, uh, Ruth, Ruth Osborne. Yes. If anybody knows Ruth, I'm sure that she has heaven. uh, She's partying up there. Yes. But she was a woman that taught me to celebrate who I am. And not to let the world tell me who I am, hmm. but to get it straight from my creator. Awesome. And uh, she taught me how to laugh during difficult times. 
and just to celebrate being a child of God. Anybody that knows her right now, I guarantee they're all smiling. Amen. They know exactly what I'm talking about. Yes. Commissioner Ken, how about you? Who are the kind of key influences in your I life? Have to begin, I have to begin by paying tribute to my parents. Yeah. Uh, their example, their sacrificial service uh, has inspired me throughout my life, continues to do so. I thank God for them. In terms of my development and my understanding of uh, scripture, I would have to say that uh, Commissioner Phil Needham has been a key part of my thinking. I have enormous respect for Commissioner Needham and for the way he looks at the scripture and its application. I also have to say that outside the Salvation Army, I'm a big fan of Alistair McGrath at Oxford. Yes. Uh, he, He is simply brilliant. And his discussions of uh, the Christian faith in the in response to atheism, uh, in response to the challenges that many perceive that come from science. Right. Uh, I, I think I think his his thinking process uh, is just a, a, a magnificent, magnificent thing to witness. I read everything he writes. Wow. I, I enjoy him as well. And, and Commissioner Needham, too, as you, you describe him. Um, and uh, did you have a chance to meet Alistair McGrath while you were in England? I have not. Okay. I have not, but it's it's still on my bucket list. You, you'll be going over there a few more times. Maybe maybe you can look him up. But I love I love his tradition. I mean, he he came in as a, a scientist and then it, it took time took on a whole career as a historical theologian and then brings back in the discipline of science. Yeah, I'm so it's so interesting to hear that. I when when you said and outside the army, I'm like, okay, who will this be? Tim Keller or whatever. <laughs> yeah. So it was great. It was great. So glad to hear that. Um, well, thank you for your time. I know that this day has been filled up with interviews for you and know of our prayers for you uh, as our national leaders. And you have a weight on your shoulders, a, a privilege to serve in this role. But we're thankful that you're there and we trust that God will continue to lead you. Thanks for joining me on Captain's Corner. Thanks very much, Andy. Thank God you. bless you. And to everyone out in your audience, an early Merry Christmas. And don't forget to do your part. <laughs> Next week on the podcast, we have Dr. Sandy Richter. If you'd like to learn more about the Salvation Army of Tampa, check us out at tampasa.org and give us a follow on Twitter at SalArmyTampa. And of course, go ahead and subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Thanks for joining us. See you next time.